hello you. Hello you. Happy August slash almost September. It is almost September, isn't it? In fact, yes, it's the August bank holiday this weekend, isn't it? It is. And in fact, that is like the clarion call for spiders to march into my house. <laughs> they are a-coming. Even my other half, who is not scared of the, the things, doesn't like them, but he's not scared of them, took a photo of one the other day before he somehow managed to ush this giant glumping beast out and um, said, it's a bit of a big one. Look, you yes. can see the joints on its legs. So I was like, yeah, thanks, dear. Um, <laughs> you were so glad that he shared a photograph <laughs> with you. I can see. I can see how excited you were from here. But it's, it's like, like the last week of August. It's like they know. It's like they have it in their calendars. You can almost hear them stomping across the very dry <laughs> garden. Just to come and greet you because they know it's going to freak you out. I know. I don't know what it's like with you living more in a tree-ish. There are trees where I am, obviously, but you're you're in more of the middle of trees currently. I don't well, know whether they I, kind of lasso themselves through the windows. I thought that you couldn't live in this house because the number of spiders is quite startling. You tell me now. Wow. Yeah, but you don't live in my house, do you? Um, this is, I did come to visit recently. You that did was come fine. to visit recently. That was yeah, fine. and it was on a dry day, and don't it was on a dry day. I'm slightly only... tripping from hay fever, so <laughs> that's true. I mean, you I probably would be able to see them, but it's <laughs> it, it's not um it's not a you know kind of like I see loads of spiders all the time, but just the num over over a period of time the number of spiders. In fact, our our neighbours, lovely Liz and Joe, who moved in, I think they moved in November twenty twenty, um, and it was a. In fact, they both separately. So um, Lizzie, about a year ago, just kind of said to me quietly, she said, we get a lot of spiders in our house. I said, yes, yeah, so do we. It's madness. And she visibly relaxed. <laughs> she was like, oh, it's not just me. Like, no, <laughs> there's, there's just like, there's a bank of kind of woods going. There's a kind of strip of woodland going down there. The, the kind of the bank down to the down to the river valley and they just get blown over and the prevailing wind just blows them over all the time on their little threads and when we yeah so and, but then it was only a couple of months ago joe so losing joe our next one neighbors um, are married and joe said something i think both both my joe and i were, were in the garden we were talking on the fence and, and joe said we get a lot of spiders in our house and we're like yeah yeah, so do we. That's we totally know. normal. And again, he visibly relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Would you make it sound like some kind of bucolic thing? These spiders drifting on their threads gently through the forest. Not, I mean, I kid you not, the size of this this thing. I mean, it was obviously like it would have carried an entire goat off on its back <laughs> as it was sitting behind our sofa. With, whereon it would have leapt upon me at a yeah, particularly inconvenient moment, I'm sure. Um, but these are like the wolf spider, huntsman, yeah, legs, really brown really fangs. Yeah. Like, I don't if if they start drifting around on the wind on those oh, threads, I am emigrating. I am is, done. The little ones grow, don't they? So you kind of you get I mean you get baby spiders that might drift across or smaller spiders. If it, they find you know, if they find a nice place to set up home in your loft space or plug hole. Why is it the spiders come out of plug holes when you've been away for a couple of weeks? I don't know about that. That freaks me out. Um, but, you know they they grow so and I I have um I, there's a little zebra spider that's just kind of I've been running about and they just they they kind of they're they're tiny they're like they're you know, like the 
size of my thumbnail thumbnail the, the you know the end bit they're tiny um, mm. but they're very jumpy they're very it's like they're kind of they're constantly on alert uh, and they're kind of stripy hence the name zebra spiders anyway oh. I, I should perhaps stop talking about spiders because i know it's not exactly your favorite subject but it is a part of life spiders are they are they are a part they are a part of life and i have that kind of slightly morbid fascination with my kind of i need to know where they are what they're up to what they're thinking what they look like i mean they are quite pretty i mean there is one that is they're sort of like a rainbow spider and Ooh. i don't know it's it's it was on a david attenborough documentary and it was like waving its little legs in the air and it's got things on its back there it flaps up and down to attract the ladies um and the lady spiders apparently quite like the things on the back that flap up and down it's very pretty okay. Don't want it anywhere near me, but it's very pretty to look at. So, yes, but yes, at the end of that end of sort of August, early September, it's like the clarion call. Come on in, and to go back to your point, they've got an entire forest near your house. <laughs> That's their domain. Are you going space. set in there up in their trees? No. Are you like cashing their food out there? No. You've got your house. They've got their house. People, spiders. I, don't, I just don't. I don't think they see it like that. Neil. Well, they see it in eight different ways, but there you not, go. Not how they experience the world. I mean, I'm not trying to get into the mind of a spider because I still think I can't. Um, for a start, it's far too small for me to fit in there. But I, I suspect that's just not how they experience the world. It's, I mean, it is a bit like the birds in the garden. I do, you know, I kind of look out some mornings and we, we've had a family of magpies. And I, I love magpies. They're really bloody noisy, though. They kind of, you know, they, they jump are. around and jack, 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 jack all the time. <laughs> Um, and you know, so I love them. And, and after about 20 minutes of this, I'm like, yeah, all right, I was just trying to have a cup of tea in the garden. But I, you know, I strongly suspect that, that the magpies don't, you know, that it's they believe it's their garden. This, this not my garden, it's their well, garden. It belongs to them. So I think, yeah. yeah. To be fair, the spiders, the magpies, they were here first. We are technically invading their space, but yeah, you know, not to be too right. human centric about it, but. The spider's gonna have the rest of the world. I just want the bit in, inside my four walls. It's not that much to ask. I'm not that demanding. <laughs> oh, you just you just have to find a way to you know to communicate with them. I'm sure that they will understand your terms. It sounds reasonable if you can just put it across in the right way. I'm sure you, know, you can you can negotiate with them. I'm sure. The whir of the Dyson. Other vacuum cleaners are available. Um, <laughs> Well, the the cat. The like, cat. I don't. I don't want. I don't want them biting, biting my cat. I mean, we did come home many years ago. We still, we still had the dog, and there was, um, there was an arachnid in the middle of the floor. So we had a, the hallway's bed was um, had a, a like, lino floor, and there was an arachnid in the middle, from the sort of red, medium-sized five p quite body mm-hmm. had a body on it in the middle of a footprint. You'd obviously seen it. God, don't like that. Bang! And I was, oh, good. Well done. So Floyd, Floyd the spider stomper, he became for a little while. Excellent. I know, bless him. But uh, but yes, unfortunately, no no more no more him and lots of spiders currently. Yeah. Hey, and has, have you always had um, your? Have you always felt the way you do now about spiders? I think so. I'm better than I used to be. I can. I. I don't shriek at the top of my lungs and, and run. They have to be quite large <laughs> for that. It has, it has been known. Um, yeah, some, better than I used to when I was a kid, but there's always just 
something. I've always just hated them. There's always something. I had one on my shirt once, which I thought was rude. Put my shirt on in the morning and felt this thing in my arm. What's that? Flicked it in this like enormous kind of thing, sailed out, not on a thread, uh, or not on a thread of its own making, should I say, stealing my shirt as it went. I was like, people just don't. I don't know what it was. I don't know what set it off. Parents aren't particularly arachnophobic. It was just. Yeah, just. They just have just, always been. They just scuttle. They either sit there and look menacing or they scuttle. They have no, there's no kind of, oh, I'm just going to mosey from here to there. It's all fine. I mean, the big ones are the tarantulas might, but there ain't many of them really sussed. Yeah, the they do have a particular kind of movement, don't they? I mean, spiders, a big one will kind of give me pause, but I don't, I don't mind them too much. I had a similar experience to you described the shirt. I put my dressing gown on one morning um, and, you know, it just hangs up overnight. was <laughs> Was, wasn't hanging up for that long and I kind of lifted up my arm when I got downstairs and and a big spider just scuttled out my and but then I was then I was all right and I had the presence of mind enough to take a photograph of it and you know that was fine but I did think what are you doing inside my dressing gown come on straight on straight onto Twitter I'm sure <laughs> fire up the gram it was so do it, do it, it for the likes. exactly what I did I, I posted it to Twitter oh you're a millennial <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I am. Something that um something that really does bother me though is anything like um like an ant's nest. So if you disturb an ant's nest, then you can see them all scurrying oh. and moving. And there's a large number of ants. Um, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Large numbers of kind of scurrying things. So, oh, you, so looking at that and kind of if, when I get the feeling that I can't tell if it's the ants that are moving or if it's the ground that's moving. There, that makes me feel quite unwell. Fair enough. I always think if it's the ground that's moving like that, probably had a bit too much to drink. Yeah. <laughs> that's my mental check back. It's like, how's the gin going? Not enough? That's why <laughs> it's ants. A little bit too much? It could be ants on the floor. A little bit more than that? Oh dear, it's the floor and I'm lying on it and it's carrying me away towards the spiders. No. <laughs> it's all the spiders. So oh, all, the, all the evil spider plots. So what have you been up to anyway since we last we last natted so, on the so podcast? I've had two weeks away, which has oh. been lovely. So we went, my other half and I went to stay in a caravan near on the edge of Romney Marsh, which is kind of our general summertime haunt, two weeks away with no internet and in a very flat place where we can cycle and kind of go looking for birds. And uh, yeah, and that's that's the thing that I was saying too early, wasn't it? One of I've decided that my favourite bird ever, uh, and I do I do like a lot of birds, is a smallish wader called a turnstone. Oh. And you get them along rocky. They they particularly like sitting up on the rocks, and they they, they get their name from a behaviour of turning over stones with their beak to to look for morsels underneath and to eat small crustaceans and you know things. So that's they, they literally turn apparently they turn stones. I've never seen one doing it. Um <laughs> I'm told the by the bird stone. guides that that their name is because they turn over stones with their beak. They're very, very pretty little birds. Um and they're quite they're quite it's quite difficult to see them all because they kind of nestle among kind of the big rocks when the tide's in. And so you can we actually we had a bit of a game of trying to count the turnstones um as we were walking or cycling along the seawall. And we kind of my other half is much better at this than I am. I think it's it's a real struggle for me. But you kind of you can count a certain number from one 
vantage point and then you take a few steps and there are some that were hidden by an, a, a kind of a jutting out bit of rock oh okay and so and and of course they move about as well which is wholly inconsiderate stand and be counted Stop. yes so i found it damn near impossible to count them and we decided that we probably still weren't managing to count all of the ones that were there Fair enough. That, that that was quite a lot. I see this. This is what I do when I'm not on Twitter. I try and count uncountable birds. Uh, Twitter Make birds. That what you will. Makes sense. <laughs> all you of the logical spiders. <laughs> I'm counting birds. <laughs> um, but that was that was absolutely absolutely lovely. It just had lots of space to be outdoors, to pay attention to nature, and just to kind of sit and sit with my thoughts and what's kind of generally what's going on for me in life at the moment plenty of space to reflect to integrate stuff you know think about what I've learned and what what's been on my mind in terms of what's going on in the world and what I really value what matters to me um and you know kind of what how I suppose I'm kind of thinking more about how I can do do more of the things that that really live true to my values and trying to figure out more about what I really value in life um you know questioning maybe my behaviors kind of learned behaviors and things that I've just done the way I do for a long time so you know things about Joe Joe my other half and I had some really good conversations about um about kind of basically under the heading of inclusion i suppose we were talking about neurodivergence and so joe has a counselor friend who works with kind of has a bit of a specialty working with them i'm not quite sure what the right term is but people who are neurodivergent or Mm -hmm. identify as neurodivergent um in various different ways so we were we're chatting about that and, and kind of the cost i'm starting to realize the cost of kind of masking in order to fit in um it's it's yeah and it's just kind of brought up some interesting questions for me about well you know in what ways do maybe do the people i know maybe feel that they need to mask in order to fit in in what ways maybe does um yeah in, in what when and, and what kind of cost does that actually come with and you know, kind of the more visible stuff and the less visible stuff. You know, what happens over the course of a human lifetime? Mm. If you are working really hard to try and be, you know, kind of present in a certain way or to be someone that that you don't really. You know, I mean, and it's relevant not just for people, you know, people who have kind of different neurodivergent stuff going on. It, it's relevant for anyone who feels they don't kind of fit. So I'm, I'm sure that's something that you know you spend a lot of time thinking and talking about yourself. Interesting. I mean, this the neurodivergence piece is something I'm really picking up on LinkedIn more than any other platform at the moment. But lots of people are either talking about their own experiences of neurodivergence and, like I say, actually masking is such a is such a good term for it and kind of learning learning patterns of behaviour to kind of get around other things or work within a system that doesn't quite understand those folk and and can't mm. kind of assimilate them and it's a, it's a system's loss for doing that but yeah their their own stories or again lots of people talking about working with folk who are neurodivergent and kind of what is brought to them and, and all the good stuff so it's, it's just been a really interesting thread the last couple last couple of months is it's, mm. a really, it's been a real focus actually it's been, it's been really nice to see because obviously a lot of EDI work has been talking about um, disability. One often thinks, I mean, you just, I mean, even think of just standard iconography, go to a, a car park, 
and the symbol for the disabled parking is more often than not a person in a wheelchair. Whereas actually, mm. I could be a driver, let's say, for a blind person. And so they could have a disabled badge, but they could be able-bodied other than the fact that they just can't see. Yeah. And, but it's a single representation, so it's just, oh, it, it's, fa- it's such a fascinating thing. And I'm really glad, actually, that society and business particularly but society is starting to unpack and starting to understand and starting to question it's not just oh so and so's a little bit different it's actually no they their brains process things in an entirely unique and beautiful way and how can we help this to fit in our society rather than just go odd don't understand go away yeah which is obviously the wrong the wrong thing so it sounds like fascinating set of conversations yeah i mean it is it is really feels like there's a lot in there i i read an article recently as part of some work i was doing about i in fact i think you first shared it i think it was the article about intersectionality and um it was the one that mentioned the canary code ah yes that does really and well. kind of with a bit with a, i think well one of the things i took away from it was the idea that there might be some there, there might be some groups, and I, I think I think the, the argument, God, yeah, I read it a few weeks ago now, but I think the argument was that um, rather than trying to pick off kind of EDI initiatives that kind of support like, a specific group, and that, well, let's start with gender, because that's going to be a bit easier, or that, you know, we're going to be able to kind of get further with that, and then we'll work on some of the kind of... So it's, so it's almost like, um, let's kind of see if we can deal with inclusion issues for groups that are closer to the norm whatever that is because that's going to be easier and then we can kind of build on that in order to kind of work with marginalized groups who are perhaps further from this mythical norm and the article was kind of unpacking that that maybe that's not the best approach actually and and maybe looking at multiple ways in which even you know an individual can be marginalized and trying to improve you know and, and i think the main the main point actually the main thing i took away from it was how important participation is ask your people in the workplace ask your people what they're struggling with what they need what isn't working for them rather than kind of make decisions kind of off the bat about who needs help or who you can help because you're kind of yeah there's some issues with that. So that was that was a really, really interesting article. So I'll, I'll find the link to that. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that you shared it on LinkedIn a while Possibly. ago. I put it on Possibly. my to-read list. It does. It sounds really... There was a really good piece I shared this morning, actually. Um, so I'm just trying to, trying to see if I can find it. Just on the a similar sort of thing. Someone talking actually about their experience of poverty growing up. Mm. And how then kind of in the workplace, they realised that people didn't... Um, we're talking about sort of shared experiences of poverty and how it fundamentally like the way he grew up he was in the states um and he was talking very viscerally in the the article about the shame as a young kid he felt going down to the grocery store and paying for his groceries with what's the phrase is the wadded up or bundled up sheaf of brown beige or brown on beige paper that was their version of like welfare stamps and so, and so paying for that. And he said, I had this lived experience of this, but no one in the workplace was talking about it. And then when he ended up, at, I think it was a company called Ideas 42. It's a behavioural scientist article, actually. Um, find the link for the, the show notes. Um, but when he ended up and they were doing, starting to do kind of work in various communities, just the importance of including people 
in the company who had certain shared lived experiences, let alone going out into the world and asking people out there who had them, just the enriching power of, of that. It is it is so important. Mm. Instead mm. of doing with rather than doing to, or certain yes. states is very good at doing to, whereas long-term behaviour change and just buy-in, you need to do with and make sure that the right people around the table. I mean, I wouldn't, personally, I would never be on a project that would design a product or an intervention for a woman without making sure that I was just a part of a team where the people we were designing for had the majority of the voice. Because mm. my lived experience is as, as a cisgender man. So I have no, I can't say how something might land. It's just so important to get those voices. And of course then, like you said, when you get down to more marginalised communities, just inviting those and holding, holding the stage, opening the floor, holding the stage. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, just make sure it's held. It's so important, but it's so often overlooked. It it is so important, and it might, so I recently read Invisible Women, um, which is a fantastic book by um, can't remember the author's name. Um, I think Invisible Women. I can remember her surname. But I can't remember her first name. Invisible women. Caroline Criado Perez, that's it. Um, okay. And it's it, a very faint bell. It is it's a fantastic but lots of people um kind of in I've been aware of been talking about it. But the, the she makes a lot of points and one of the, the kind of the main one is that data simply doesn't exist on the effects of drugs policy any anything on women specifically um because data is rarely set uh, kind of disaggregated by sex when you can when you kind of then want to look into kind of subgroups of women then it's even harder so you know if you wanted oh, wow. to look at you know asian women for example um and how they you know how their physiology responds to a particular drug or healthcare intervention it, you know i mean it's almost impossible to find out it's about women as a group it's it's even more impossible to find out oh, about wow. um asian women for example as an example but the other thing is that um in terms of policy and in terms of trying to understand um you know kind of say an, an intervention um to support what was the example given in the book um cleaner fuel stoves for kind of uh i think it was in bangladesh actually cleaner fuel stove because it's a real problem with um the kind of the particulate matter being thrown out by the cooking equipment oh, wow. that they okay. use cause you know shortening life and because women and children are in the house more all day they're actually more at risk than the men but the the um kind of one of the things that happen is that the, the kind of the policy interventions like well it's it's more difficult to, to find out from women and include women about what they want and what would work for them so you know so sometimes that just oh, it's just too difficult it's just too difficult or to include women in medical studies it's just too difficult because women have all these caring responsibilities or they might not have their own transport it's just too difficult and the only it kind of sounds farcical doesn't it but we'll, we'll just use the men because they're easy subjects or they're easy to it's easy to get their opinion we'll just poll the men um but this this happens this really happens it's mind-boggling it is it is and 
I mean, that's the whole thing with yeah, sort of qualitative and quantitative research and going out into the communities. I mean, take that kind of anthropological approach of actually going out and understanding and spending time in, in the field, to use the term. Um, it's just so enriching. And then you can close these data gaps. I mean, mm. how you how anyone could think it's right to go, oh, well, we just, yeah, we just ask the men. But it builds in the bias. And the problem is then, and mm. there's been a lot of talk about this as well, the problem is then that you suddenly get the papers that are written and one paper cites another paper cites another paper cites another paper 10 papers down the line you don't necessarily realize that paper number one actually only spoke to one woman out of 378 participants yeah. or whatever it might be and the, suddenly the findings are generalized have been generalized out and for the best of intentions people have gone oh, okay this is what that found i'll generalize it i'll generalize it i'll test it i'll use that theory somewhere else and yeah you just build in these biases when you suddenly then start looking into it you go oh that's why it doesn't work because it didn't yeah. ask the right people in the first place. But <sighs> it, and it shows up. What she did beautifully was she kind of she showed up. She showed up just how easy it is to slip into that kind of thinking. Um, because I, I there's there was another example of um, again this was with the stoves, and there were some interventions and new products were designed and interventions were designed and they weren't taken up. And the kind of the general response is often, well, you know, and I, I've I've been in meetings like this, not with anything, not with that kind of specific, but where you've designed something for for um for for a user group, and you're like, but they're not using it, and and honestly, I don't know if you've ever been in a room like this, and people start to say, well, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they using this beautiful thing that we made with love and care, and you know, we're trying to make their lives better? Well, what's wrong with them? And it kind of turns to a kind of frustration. And it, because I've been in, in I mean, nothing on the scale of kind of trying to help with fuel poverty or, or cod cleaner cook, cooking, so really just small, tiny things. Um, but that thing of, well, what's wrong with them? Instead of what's wrong about our design, that it doesn't work for the people it's supposed to work for. They're the people out in the world doing what they do. They're not wrong. It's the design doesn't fit. You know, and it and it, it might be a really weird one. So one of the things that came up was that um, the one of the stoves that was designed was great, was brilliant, was easy for the easy to use. Took it didn't take up any more space than the old one, but it was kind of pricey. And the people who control the budgets in these households are the men, and the men didn't see the need for it because they weren't doing the cooking. Oh wow! So so it's actually a really complex interplay of stuff. So they mm. had man, they had managed to design something for the women that worked in a number of ways, but they were kind of caught out almost at the last hurdle that the budget holder wasn't the woman. Interesting. Mm. Oh, I'll look, I'll look that up. That sounds mm. that sounds exactly the sort of thing. Quite frankly, it's a fantastic read. I think yes. I mean, oh, anyone wow. listening who hasn't read it, do do read it. Invisible Women, and I'm and there are you know there are a number of other books kind of around similar subjects, kind of tackling slightly different aspects of it. Um, which I uh, yeah I I can't. Let's see. Rachel Rumble recommended one to me. Rachel, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. I've forgotten about that book. But <laughs> that was amazing. That I really it was that was specifically about medical medical stuff and about women's okay. health. Okay. Oh, um, interesting. So yeah, I mean, but as a as a way in, Invisible Women is fantastic. Cool. Fantastic read. Link it. Link in show notes, as mm, they say. For sure. Loving it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're right. Mind-boggling is the is the thing. And again, you, you look at. It, I mean, there's, a, there's always been a lot relatively recently about. I say a lot, probably about 
three posts on LinkedIn, but you notice them. Um, that kind of design thinking and the, the people who like it or don't like it and getting people into the room and overused ideologies, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, yeah, how do, how do you get to that point of just not knowing the audience well enough to then release something and go, well, why aren't they, aren't they using it? But it also triggers something very deep set for me, probably from a few years ago, that whole kind of a Silicon Valley bromance thing. And obviously the, the matter of break, break shit, fail fast, et cetera, et cetera, which just doesn't really work in a lot, a lot of places. But there was an idea for a time that everything was fine. It just needed its, its little niche. Mm. And you're like, people, you're just basically justifying six months and probably a couple of funding rounds of lots and lots of money for something that's clearly completely daft. Um, I say clearly, completely daft, probably been slightly pejorative, but there are a few things that came up and you should look at it and go, you're basically reinventing water or air. It's the universe doesn't need another oxygen molecule. It's fine as it is. Leave it alone. Um, but that kind of thing of oh, we will design it anyway. We will we will build it and the people will come. God, the amount of social platforms. Unthink was one of those. Dived into Unthink when that launched back in. I remember what office I was in. Weirdly, a couple more year it was probably about twenty fourteen. They sound oh. great. I it think that like, one totally passed me by. Yeah, it was this sort of very small platform. I managed to get a beta invite to it. Don't ask me how, but I managed, managed to get one. Um, I think I blogged about it at the time, back in back in the day when I, I was blogging on a regular daily basis. Um, and it was kind of set up as this this place for kind of conversation and kind of what LinkedIn kind of thinks it is. Um, mm. And it just ended up to become a data scalping exercise. It's the only thing I can think it was. And you sort of look at it afterwards and go, yeah, they're really not. They're not doing anything new. They, they sort of tried, but actually they were reinventing something that wasn't. They were like, oh, we just need it to find its niche. Oh, no, we probably just need to make the products that are out there better, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's. You never. Sometimes you have to start down a path to learn and to figure out that either you need to kind of change direction quite drastically or. Um, or maybe you know, just kind of yeah, leave that, go and go, you know, go a totally different way, double back on yourself. So, I'm all for, I'm all for um, exploring, but it, but what it highlights to me is just how easy it is to get into an echo chamber where mm. everyone in the room or the product team or you know or or the project team, you're kind of like you're all kind of reassuring each other that you know that yes this is this is the right way this is worth doing there's you know and and actually forget that there's a world outside you outside yeah. that project room I, and again i've looking back i've been in so many meetings i've been a willing participant in that process where you kind of you're kind of so intent on whatever your imagination is and the goal you're trying to get to that you genuinely and collectively you reinforce this with each other you forget about kind of the intended recipient or user mm. or the world outside the project room or the, the company you know it's uh, yeah it's very easy to do yeah absolutely i mean I know we've talked before about the kind of advertising marketing world and like the awards the ivory towers and that mm. whole kind of thing of you look at some campaigns and go yeah that was just delivered by three dudes often th often three dudes again being slightly pejorative but you look at some of them recently and just go you didn't think that one through and then find out it was yeah it's just like let's say an all-male creative team or something all, all of a certain age all of a certain 
background ethnicity. Oh, okay, no wonder you're just talking mm. to like the six people who are like like you. Which, yeah, no, nothing about nothing wrong with building up kind of micro groups and micro kind of gangs and whatever. But at the same time, so actually, if you need to, if you want to get something to break through, you've got to have that plurality of voice and plurality of opinion coming at it. And also, because people bring stuff that you just don't see. That's yeah. the other joy of asking real people. But then it does get a bit difficult. Yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? Actually finding these little people and making the time to listen to them and maybe even oh yeah, then no, see that's that's really interesting actually. Another thing from when it so when I was on holiday, I listened to the radio. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Um partly because we don't have internet at the caravan, um, but um there is a TV and you know, kind of with some radio stations on it. So I was listening to Radio Four and I had a really interesting piece. There was a thing about a series on stories and there was a story from someone with experience of care caring you know okay. kind of li- living living through being in care so being fostered I think actually that was their experience but it, part of the point that she was making was that re- it's, it was about representation so um she spent a lot of her career um, advocating for, and she still does advocate for people who are, you know, experiencing being in care. But okay. her point, kind of, with about ten years' experience of working in that, in working in that sector, is that she only represents some people who have experienced care, and in fact, she only really, truly, accurately represents herself. But she, it's, um, what about her question was, what about the voices who aren't heard because they're simply, you know, they're simply not people who aren't as articulate people who don't fit kind of some kind of mold of how to communicate or how to present themselves so you know so she's she's able to connect with and share her story and she's had you know she's been successful doing that because her her story and the way she communicates it fits in a certain sense (coughs) with you know with with kind of some some audiences out there what about people who you know have a harder time telling um, their story, articulating it, kind of telling it in a compelling way, for example, um, for for whatever reason, mm. um, maybe less educated, maybe less comfortable talking in in front of large groups of people, maybe you know, kind of um, struggle to kind of tell a story in a way that you know, kind of a mass audience would find easy to hear. Mm. Absolutely, and I think. That for me brings on to that point about lazy, and I know we've spoken about this a couple of times, but that's a lazy demographics, lazy segmentation. That's the thing of all people who are X, all people who are women obviously have the same life experience, or all people who are men obviously have the same life experience, or if you grow up gay, it's the same view wherever you are across the world. No, it's not. It's all completely different, it's all subjective, it's all completely unique. Um, And again, even kind of this country, look at things like social housing and social housing care and policies around that. For a long time, there was this very broad brush of, oh, someone who lives in social or housing provided by the state must be a certain way. Mm. No. Hmm. Nope. People in social housing are as unique and diverse and wonderful and fabulous as everybody else out there. And yes, they share a common trait, which is the housing is provided by the state, but the reason that they are in that place and literally sort of geographical location and being helped by the state completely different 
for everyone. And it's just that, it just is one of those things that does get under my skin a bit, just that kind of lazy, oh, everyone who is X must be Y. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Be gone. Talk to the hand. Which I may have almost wheeled out in a meeting once and stopped myself at the very last possible second. <laughs> it's like, I don't quite want to get fired today, so. <laughs> <laughs> Always have that little voice in the back of your head. How close am I to getting fired today? Do I want to get fired today? Oh, no, let's not say that then. <laughs> it served me well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but but are you are often in conversation with this little voice. I mean, mine is more, my little voice is more like, oh, am I going to sound really stupid if I say that? So, so this idea about, do I want to get fired today? I, I find that quite exciting. It sounds quite different to my experience. <laughs> it's dangerous, it's edgy. <laughs> It's living out there on the edge. Oh. Which is interesting, because all this talk about stories, it makes me think of something that we've been rolling over for the last couple of hips. And we've been promising ourselves, or you've been promising me, we'll, we'll get to, and I've been promising you, we'll get to, and we never quite have fan fiction. Mm, yes. And Yes, and talking about that through the spuffy lens. Yes. Which I, I wasn't, <laughs> I have to admit, I wasn't aware of the spuffy lens. No. I wasn't. I'm quite a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It, um, I remember watching it when I was at uni, uh-huh. and I would eagerly await the next. You know, you still you had to wait a week between watching episodes back then. Terrestrial television. How did we live? I have no idea. So I would wait a week for the next episode, and I remember working, yeah, working my way through. Well, most of the seasons. I don't know if I watched all of season seven, but I definitely remember season five. Um, although I don't remember the particular episode that's referred to in this link. So shall I shall I say a little bit Go about... It. Go for it. So I found this a few months ago and I, I shared it with uh, with you, Leo. I said, oh, I think we should talk about this. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, as a show, there are ways in which it hasn't aged very well. Like that's that's kind of it's just, that's a given. Uh, it's an you know it, it's a it's not a very diverse cast, put it that way in many true. senses. Um, and it is very kind of as, as a bunch of teens, they're all really quite glamorous. It's it's a yeah, it's kind of a it's a yeah, yeah, it just is. Um, but but so there, it hasn't aged well. There are some problems with it, and there are some things looking back that I'm like, oh yeah, no, actually, I can see that that's problematic and that's problematic. Nonetheless, um, certainly at its time, and you know, I still think it holds a lot. I still think there's a lot in there because it it did try, and it I think it did successfully kind of explore quite a lot of issues and and kind of experiences that teenagers go through common experiences that teenagers go through and as a, as a kind of um in my late teens and early 20s I, I i actually found it you know i found it it captivated me and i found it kind of useful as well i found it useful, okay. useful show in terms of exploring you know what it is to be in that transition period what it is to grow up i think yeah. you know the, and there's so this article um looks at there's a particular episode which i don't remember at all so either i didn't watch it um or i decided i didn't like you know i found it quite difficult and just decided not not to think very much about it where so there's buffy obviously our, our heroine who was the vampire slayer who was saving the world um and yeah kind of dealing with her teenage angst at the same time 
Um, and then there's um, a vampire character, Spike, who runs through. He kind of runs through the entire the entire show, um, all of the seasons. And you know, and they are they are rival, not rivals. Um, that you know, Spike is Buffy's nemesis. And there's an interesting, there's a kind of an interesting chemistry between them on, on a number of levels. And there's an episode uh, in season six where Spike sexually assaults Buffy. And a lot of fans were re- were deeply upset by this plot development, and and the the kind of the article describes that um, the reasons that they were so upset is that um, there was a a real real sense from the fans that it was a quite a cheap plot device actually. So it was kind of you know pain and trauma for a woman mm. character. It was actually just kind of a quite a cheap plot device to kind of make sense of the arc that was going to kind of happen from then on of Spike the Vampire feeling so eaten up by remorse that he needed to go and do weird shit to get a soul to get his soul back so it was kind of like this and and the the pain and trauma that caused for Buffy was never actually dealt with, just kind of moved on and and that's a bit of a theme is that there are, you know, kind of quite a lot of traumatic episodes that Buffy lives through that are then never, you know, just never mentioned again, like it never happened um, it, it's not the case with all of them. There are some episodes, there are some kind of trauma traumas that the show actually has explored, but there's been a lot of times when that's happened. So it's, it's problematic. Um, and the the community of fans, the the article was about this fan fiction kind of fan community site where the fans have kind of have written fan fiction as a way of kind of reimagining or processing or kind of exploring the things that they and the places where they feel the show let them down so some of them have kind of and it's called elysian fields and there's this great there's there's an awful lot of feedback and chat um and there's something like i know literally thousands of contributors um and you know all these people kind of either reimagining the timeline or looking at what the impact was on buffy or kind of you know basically using fan fiction as a way to kind of explore the issues that they feel haven't been properly dealt with and kind of heal some of that some of that upset about the fact that their favorite characters have have kind of been part of a plot that they felt in some way wasn't right interesting yeah i hadn't come i hadn't come across i've come across a lot of fan fiction but i hadn't kind of come across that particularly and yeah i i don't think i recollect the episode i mean i've got a memory like Swiss cheese for the best of times but um yeah it didn't it's sort of, something rang in the back of my head but not mm. but yeah d- diving into that community I was like it's fascinating to see those communities out there and how they're they're putting themselves together and how they kind of self-regulate and mm. doing and I, but I really like that piece around people then exploring what something's brought up for them or, or kind of processing their own their experiences or their own whether it's direct experience or their experience in reaction to something they've they've kind of seen and how and I was kind of reflecting after I read it and quickly dived into the, the community just to have a, a quick shifty just how interesting those communities are for co-creation of space is one co-creation because mm. there are moderators I'm sure and you have to be members to read certain things but very much, uh, there seems to be very much a respect actually amongst all contributors and commentators and even just lurkers and viewers and, and whatever. Mm. A bit like, not that I'm part of that, this community, but the cosplay community. Mm. So, what yeah. I understand, I know a few people who are kind of a bit kind of on the, the fringes of that. And yeah, just this real thing of actually, if you just show up, 
show up and don't be mad and rude to people. People just welcome with open arms and come in. But really interesting, but particularly with the fan fiction and that reweaving of the stories as well. And the thing I was again reflecting on was they're weaving within someone else's framework, which is probably a good place to start. Really, I mean, the blank page can be a terrifying. But as a as a writer, I'm sure you have a particular view. But the blank page can be a terrifying place. Mm. But actually, as a if you've got a framework within and, and you okay, we know, we understand these things. Let's see where I can push it and I can own some of this as well. And then. Yeah, process and process, reprocess, and take it beyond what the original kind of contributors and the original authors thought. I mean, how amazing! How amazing the internet has allowed such a thing to to exist. Yeah, that that is amazing, isn't it? And that's that's kind of it's the kind of thing that we all loved about the internet and social media in the early days, isn't it? it was, oh. mm come together around communities of interest and we can share and we can yeah and it's it's not always worked out like that no as as time has gone on so yes that's a really good point and there is something really beautiful about the way the community operates and I, and I also so I've never really understood fan fiction. Um, I've I've never knocked it, but it's never been something that I've been very interested in. Um, but I kind of I really got it in mm. reading that article and thinking about that. I really got it as a, a way to, like you say, you know, kind of within a framework, within a world, basically, um, within a world to then explore for yourself in the direction that you you kind of you're taken by and actually it has reminded me that so it's not fan fiction but something that i love doing is um i'm still working my way through mad men okay. i'm in season six um so i'm getting towards the end now i i have i don't there are a few tv shows that i've loved and enjoyed as much as mad men buffy might be one of them but it was kind of in a different league in terms of the depth and maturity of it but the thing I do, I spend ages reading the Guardian comments on, say, there was the Guardian blog, um, which obviously was written when it was airing for the first time, and, you know, kind of write up of each episode. And I, I, I can literally spend hours reading through the comments and all of the kind of interpretations and discussion that, that was going on, you know, like, literally years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and kind of try because for me it's a way of immersing myself and staying in the world of it and exploring uh, okay. different aspects of oh you know this kind of um what might have been going on for this character and what this is foreshadowing and what mm. you know kind of what what the symbolism here is all about and lots of details that I've missed and it's just like I don't don't want to leave the world of Mad Men just yet I've you know really enjoyed this episode there's more here I know there is oh it's all been explained for me and oh you know there's loads of thought about okay. it in the Guardian comments section so um I so yeah maybe I, maybe I do get fan fiction more than I realise. <laughs> It's not necessarily that same kind of spuffy community, the, the spike buffy. That's the, the spuffy reference, isn't it? The, the, yeah, the yeah. spike in the buffy. But um, yeah, talking about Mad Men, we, did, we started it. I think we just weren't quite in the right place. I think we went back to Twin Peaks, probably, or something else was happening, something else happening at the time, kind of go back. But it is, I do find it fascinating how people pick up shows. I like Buffy. I mean, I, I watched it part the way through first time around um i think i was on i seemed to have working shifts at the time and so it was kind of i was either coming on or going off shift and so it was mm. it was sort of there and kind of watched it and then 
Chris and I watched it all the way through. What well, I said all the way through all, all the available episodes, which may or may not have included this one. Um, and just really interesting again that kind of cultural artifact piece and TV shows made for young adults of that time, and it definitely felt like it was something different. Mm. And I think the it's an interesting one. I think in the explosion now of TV channels and media and content producers, that certain things are coming through into the mainstream. So there was a show recently called um, Heartstopper. Have you heard of it? It was on it was no. Netflix. It might be Netflix original. It's based on a series of kind of graphic novels written by a person called Alice. And I, f- I want to say Alice Oseman. I think it's her Alice. Well, you know, sorry, Alice. Um, I'll find your, <laughs> find your books and put them in the, the show notes. But it's about a, um, a young gay guy at school and kind of a f- first loves and, and all that sort of thing. Incredibly bingeable. Very, very good. But looking at it, I was thinking, well, kind of 40 now. Wouldn't it have been amazing if that kind of TV was in place mm. when we were kids? There, there's conversations happening now. I mean, there's, there's Heartstopper, which is it's just amazing. It's 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 a really good little show. Um, Sex Education being another one. That's another really good show. Mm. But stuff now that's talking. And then the end when we when we kind of go back and look at things like kind of Buffy, so just the kind of cultural artifact, cultural artifice that's built up around them, and just how they were telling stories to a certain generation, and actually what they laid the groundwork for because prior to Buffy I don't think that there was any and I'm probably wrong but I don't think there was any particularly strong female middle late teens so Michelle Gellar probably early 20s when they filmed mm-hmm. it but strong role model yeah probably again probably being slightly unfair but I my sort of cultural memory of American TV around that era was the women were either witches yeah. Or relatively ditzy, stereotypical blonde cheerleader types. And yeah. I don't recollect a lot in the middle. And suddenly you kind of had a Buffy coming on with, with actually quite adult themes and kind of commentary on, on stuff. And I mean, like I said, I got a Spike being a, the vampire, Buffy being the vampire slayer. I mean, that takes will they, won't they, to a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, I know, I've, I've, so I'm. I'm re-watching Buffy because I've got it on DVD. And I, I watch like one... Ep- I might watch a clutch of about three episodes every like three or four weeks. So I'm rubbish at things watching. Um, but there's... <laughs> um, yeah, there's just... It, it, it is. I, th- I think it was quite unusual in its time. And and, and I think, you know... And I'm... And so, so kind of, you know, trying to see all of it or trying to appreciate as much of it as possible. I think I think it's really useful to be able to have a conversation about what in Buffy I, you know, see now and think, oh, okay, yeah, there's a there's a problem there. There's a, you know, there's not it's diversity is a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is really lacking. But it, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it was a product of its time, and I'm I'm not saying that's okay, but I'm saying it is a reflection of mm-hmm. a certain kind of snapshot of society and a certain group or you know kind of slice of society and the, and the kind of the people who were making it and, and and you know the audience it was appealing to so it it kind of gives us a lot of information about what you know what kind of norms for the groups of people involved in making it and kind of watching it what was normal for them and and you know how how much things have changed actually in the intervening period that we can look at and say mm, okay that's yeah that's not great I mean, i've got so right the our teenage girls um i mentioned buffy to both of them because i thought they might enjoy it but they were okay. both like oh no 
No, it's, <laughs> I, I tried watching it. It's terrible. It's really awful. Oh, really? And, you know, yeah, I can't, and I can't remember what the objection was now exactly. I may not have probed it because I, I think I felt just kind of really embarrassed that I'd done that thing of suggesting something that they actually think is awful um but yeah it's something about i think it's like it's not very feminist is it i'm like oh i, I kind of thought it was <laughs> but yeah i guess things have moved on in the intervening period so I mean, yeah. yeah that was a really that so that was a couple of years ago that was a really interesting conversation that got me thinking well actually yeah maybe things need you know have moved on and and you know and, and it's right that they've moved on since that was made I suppose again. I mean, like you sort of say, who's who's in the room? Actually, who is writing these characters? And yes. so, the girls coming back and not being very feminist. It's, I think they're probably tropes. You look back at it now and maybe think actually it was for the time it was quite trailblazing. Yeah. But that was the thing. It kind of took it just that little bit. It, it took it beyond what we were used to, but with enough yeah. safety that it wouldn't get cancelled. Yes. Yeah. I suppose. And that I kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And I think it's interesting. I have this. I think yeah, vampire vampires are. I find them quite fascinating. Vampires and less so where I probably prefer to be a werewolf, but I, the vampires I think are, are quite fascinating. But in terms of sticking things in people, it's very unusual for a woman to be sticking things in, especially to vampires who are mostly men. Well, that yes, that's a definite. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, a particular Freudian or Jungian or one of those gentlemen out there. But the very act of mm. piece of wood being jammed in. Yes. As it, as it were. Yes. yes. Uh, the, yeah, the female vampire slayer. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, some of the effects are definitely a bit on the shonky side, but it was the 90s. It's the best. It was, it was the Star 90s. Trek of that era. I mean, wow. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, TV, TV is a cultural artifact. It does have a lot. I think it does have a lot out there to, to tell us. When we're working our way through, what are we working our way through at the moment? I don't know it's gone completely blank. Um, well, we're obviously working our way back through Twin Peaks for like the 19 millionth time. But I've gone back, gone <laughs> back to the Isn't that just always running on a loop? It's kind of always running. Yeah. You always just dip in. Now, we went to the Twin Peaks Festival, 10th and final, actually, UK Twin Peaks Festival, a couple of years ago before the world ended. And um, yeah, it was amazing. And in terms of, there wasn't so much fan fiction there, but definitely people who were taking on the characters and, and giving them life mm. in their own way. But yeah, it's kind of, again, working through and looking back at what was going on in like 90s TV at the time and the kind of the narratives that were, were coming up, but actually how people like, let's say, David Lynch, was a massive, a massive David Lynch fans, but creates a space into which you have to project yourself. So obviously a traditional kind of narrative. And I think Buffy, there was a definite element of projection that people would see within the narratives, things mm-hmm. that um, resonated with it, much like Star Trek. That's what pretty yeah. most Star Treks, probably up until so the very late 90s, early thousands ones, they were mostly, it was most, most episodes of code for, for something completely different. Um, mm. But certainly something like Twin Peaks, we have to kind of project yourself in and, and take on something. Then, you know, when you get to the, the extremely existentially weird season three, and it's, it's amazing, but it's completely bonkers. And no one knows what it means. And David Lynch can say what it means. Maybe he doesn't know it, just easy, it just exists. But yeah, kind of going back through that is always a, it's kind of an intellectual challenge as much as it is a, oh, let's just kick back and kick back, grab a, beer and a few peanuts and enjoy yourself for a while just mm. kind of the role of tv really, really isn't it kind of spans yeah. spans those things that's the and that's the thing i'm i mostly want from watching tv and it's probably partly why part of the reason i don't watch much is because i find it difficult to kind of 
sort the wheat from the chaff. But now mm. I want something that's going to challenge me. I want something that's going to make me think. I want something that I can see a bit of myself in, sure. Um, but I want that to be a kind of something that kind of stimulates thought and reflection. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I get bored quite easily with TV. If it's just kind of, if it's pure kind of entertainment, something that's supposed to be comfortable and I kind of I tend to get bored quite quickly. There's a few things that will drop into, but again, I certainly find there's some, there's some interesting stuff going on in animation. Actually, that has been for the last couple of years, but people like, um, I'm a massive animation fan, always have been, but um, Bojack Horseman, which finished a few years ago, started off as this slightly odd show, probably started on Netflix, pretty sure it started on Netflix, um, because they've taken up by Netflix, it didn't start there, but the character, the I mean, Bojack Horseman is actually a horse, mm-hmm. and he's an actor, and his agent is a cat, and there's a porpoise, and there's humans and animals. More and animals. It, and we'll, animals we'll go back to animals. No spiders, thankfully. Um, but it's, it's so it, on the face of it, it was just like this. This is weird. He's like an alcoholic, slightly suicidal, outwork actor horse. And mm. you think, what's this? But it is actually quite an eviscerating thing about Hollywood and fame and so on. But what was then really interesting was towards the end, it turned out that one of the main characters who's got a particular uh, kind of ethnic heritage won't spoil in case you watch it, wasn't voiced by a person of that heritage. And similar to Apu and the Simpsons and various others, because people suddenly went, hang on, wait a minute, representation should be all the way through, it shouldn't obviously. So yeah, it took, it took quite a pounding, and in a way quite rightly, so a few other things that, that kind of went on, took a bit of pounding for that, but it brought itself back. But that was the show that, again, on the face of it, you just kick back and go, oh, I'm just going to watch this weird, weird alcoholic horse show <laughs> I don't really know how to describe it but you can kind of read into the subjects and I think there's so much that can be got away with in animation um, and we're re-watching The Simpsons actually we started literally at the beginning ah, and we kind of bit it's kind wow. of great because like every day with lunch whatever, we'll create a sandwich in like 20 minutes just Simpsons just turn the brain off but it's amazing what is going through and actually Simpsons is a kind of cultural code piece and how they, they talk about the Trump election but without talking about the Trump election they talk about mm. um, kind of LGBT rights and interestingly one of the main main characters recently apparently we haven't got up to there but it was all over the press a while ago kind of got together with, with another man and this this whole thing going on since, since day one but in the background there are other LGBT characters and again mm. it's not brilliantly representative there's not I mean Simpsons it does miss some some very keen kind of enriching demographics that are not a lot of disabled folk, for example, um, in there. Yeah. I always think kind of race is a very interesting one with a, a group of literally bright yellow characters. Bright yellow, and, yeah. and it is it is addressed it is addressed here and there and, and mostly pretty respectfully. Um, but again, it just kind of carries some stuff. And there's so yeah, BoJack Horseman, um, it's a spin-off show. That was quite good. Some Adult Swim stuff that occasionally can be just daft for the mm-hmm. sake of being daft. But this is, I always think there's a sort of trope in animation that it just kind of, it gets underneath things. You could literally say the president is a total whatever. But because it's being said by a cat, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. But then you start looking at it and go, oh, okay, Hollywood's slightly left-leaning, this is the thing. And you suddenly realise that actually it's telling a completely, utterly different story. Um, and it can be quite challenging from that perspective mm. as well, just sort of digging in and stuff. But yeah, there's, there's some good stuff TV, but there was some, there was some good stuff, and if you f- happen to accidentally find yourself with a Netflix subscription, Heartstopper is definitely a, a good mm. one. And it's just, 
it just it's an interesting reflection. We found it an interesting reflection on how far society has come that it's allowing TV like this to not only flourish but get recommissioned. Yeah, as well. I mean, and, that, some... and that's that's a that's something to celebrate. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's plenty more. There's plenty more work to do, um, and let's celebrate how far yeah. things have come. How far we've we've come in terms of actually opening up and listening listening to mm. other people's stories yeah and, and having that that representation piece i mean it's only recently we've had the first disney leading character with glasses i think that's i believe that's just been one with a hearing aid i believe it's not disney the one of one of the others wow. so suddenly we're getting these representations coming through yeah. of, of people with different abilities different ways of, of being in the world suddenly being represented by the normal air quotes the mainstream air quotes and what a time. Yeah, yeah. Bloody fantastic. So well, that feels go. like quite a good place to... Um, it does. We move from stomping spiders to representation in culture and popular TV. It's just another it's episode a, of here. magical, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honour and a privilege, as always. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as usual, we've just gone in completely different direction to what i expected in, in the most script. wonderful magical way and why not that's what these that's what these are for yes yes absolutely well thank you i have oh i, I really that's been a really nice way to kind of wind down my day oh thank you likewise it's been a funny old day but what a what i couldn't think of better company and on that happy note, of course next next episode we tick around to the big old two zero did we really we do. This is number 19. Oh, 20 cool. next time. Okay. I don't have know to, what we... have to think about that? sticking to, maybe, maybe by sticking to the script, who knows? Well, that would be, that would certainly be different. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, All listeners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. I'm happy now. I'll see you on the next one. Yes, see you soon. Happy okay. bye.